Some of you are going to be changed today. My ministry, and y'all have heard me say this before, when I, I realized what my gifting was, my gifting was to go into churches and preach to people in the church who had been there their whole life. See, I believe with all my heart, uh, back in the day, I believed that 40 to 50 percent, I'm talking about of the solid, faithful people that come to church had never had a born-again experience. And they were powerless. They had no real relationship with God. When pastors would talk about loving God, they'd be asking themselves, I don't get this. Why should I love him? I was watching, believe it or not, a little bit of the, uh, uh, the marriage over in wherever that was at. They were, you know, people got married. And there was a preacher preaching, and he said that Reverend King got it right when he said that people of this world need to understand redemptive love. Think about that. Not just love, but redemptive love. Most people never get saved because they never really ever see a reason to be saved. They think, most people, I'm a good person, I do good things, I'm not bad, I'm a good person. When the scripture says that the Bible teaches us there is none good. No, not one. How many times have you been driving down the road, and me and Sherry see it very, very often in the places that life carries us, the beggars on the side of the road, some of them carrying signs, some of them look better than we do, some appear to be distraught, some You can tell they're homeless, they're dirty, they're nasty, they're unshaven, unclean, unkept, ungroomed. And we look at those people, and there's one or two answers in our heart when we see those people. It's very easy when we see someone in need to judge them rather than listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Most people that I'm around or have been with, when we came on to that situation, if you go over to the VA hospital in, um, in Houston, uh, some of you need to go just to walk through there. And you think you, how bad you have it in life, you need to go there and visit that hospital and just walk up and down the halls. Hundreds of men with no legs, no arms, half their face gone. I've never been in there yet, and I've been there probably 200 times. I've never been in there yet that I didn't walk out changed. And thank God, say, God, thank you. On the days that I'm hurting and feeling pain from my wounds, I just thank you, God, that I have a leg that's able to hurt. There's a, there, I want to throw this at you before we go on any further. How many of you have ever wondered, or how many of you have ever made a statement? 
God, please don't ever put me through this, a particular thing. I don't know if I could stand it. I don't know if I could weather it. How many of you ever told God that? Please, Lord, I've been through this. I've been through this. I've been through this tragedy. I've been through all these things. But Lord, please never put me through this situation. I don't know if I could take it. I remember as a young kid watching war movies on TV. And I would see people get blown up and I'd see people get shot. And I'd watch how they responded to that incident. And I always wonder, how many of you ever wondered if, how bad it would hurt if you took a bullet? You ever wondered that? Or, or stepped on a bomb like Dummy Ray did? God built inside of you a mechanism called shock. And I've had, I've had a thousand people over the last 40 years ask me, how bad did it hurt when all that shrapnel just ripped through your body? And I would tell them this, and this is the truth, I never felt anything because I immediately went into shock. And I remember passing out and waking up, passing out and waking up. And I remember, I remember something about a month ago that I've never remembered until a month ago of how they, when I would wake up, they would be rolling me looking for all the entry wounds, all the shrapnel on my body. And God, in his grace, created us that when tragedy hits us like that, that we're able to withstand it by a mechanism called shock. And God, in his grace, not only gave us that mechanism, but he gave us a spiritual mechanism that when we face when we face huge atrocities in our life, he, he can begin to deal out grace to us to help us through that time so that unbelievers can look at you and say, that guy's got something I don't have. He's weathering the storm very well. The story here in Luke chapter 16 I'm not there. You probably are. We're going to start in verse 19. I call this message simply the rich man and the poor man. It says in verse 19, it says, there was a certain rich man. I remember some guy coming to Fletcher years ago, and he remembered, he said, every time you read that word certain, says you can interject yourself in that place. You can put yourself in that place. And believe it or not, we, most everybody in this room right here, considered by world value, you're rich people. You're rich people. I don't feel rich. You'd feel rich if you lived somewhere else. I'm going to get wired up here in a minute, y'all. Don't think, boy, this is going to be dull. No, I'm going to unwrap on y'all just any minute now. He says there was a rich man, says he was, he was dressed up, dressed to kill. And it says he fared sumptuously. That means he ate good. He, he looked like most of us. He'd had more than enough. 
And then it says, and there was a certain another man, which you can interject yourself into this place, named Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus that died and was raised from the grave. This is another guy. He was a poor man, it says, which was laid at his gate, speaking of the rich man's gate, full of sores. This man was in agony. The rich man was, was closed up. He was decked out. He ate good. He was known in the city as a man of stature. And the poor man was known just as a man that just struggled to make it. He was hungry all the time. And the scripture goes on to say that he laid at the gate of the rich man, desiring just to be fed with the crumbs from the rich man's table. How many of you, don't raise your hands because it'd be embarrassing. How many of you, just think it, don't, don't say it. How many of you, when you see a poor man or a beggar on the street, begin to judge him? And what do you say? Get a job, dude. How many of you ever been in a car with somebody when there'd be a beggar standing there and they'd go to reaching in their pockets for money and you'd say, don't do that. Don't give him money. He'll just go buy drugs or alcohol. Don't do that. You know what you call that? Hardened heart. Let me take it a little further. An evil hardened heart. There was a man came to our church. I don't know if William remembers this. His name was Bill Stafford. And Bill came one day. He was an old rodeo hand that got saved. One of the best evangelists I ever listened to. And he told a story one day about judging people in need or, or being a jackass when you shouldn't, shouldn't be. He said he got up one morning and had an early preaching appointment. He went to a nearby little cafe to eat. said he had on one of his brown shark skin suits. He was looking all good. He was redheaded. He was a cool looking dude. And he went in and sat down with a pastor friend of his and a waitress walked up to the table and, and he said, I want my toast lightly browned, lightly buttered. I want my eggs over easy, medium. I want my bacon cooked crisp so that when I chew it, it crunches in my mouth. And I want my coffee with a half a teaspoon of sugar, not a teaspoon, but a half. And the lady took his order and walked away. Him and the pastor began to Converse, and she came back a little later and she laid the plate down in front of him and he looked at his eggs and they were fried hard. The bacon was raw. The toast was burnt. And he said, arrogant me, looked up at her and said, you are the worst order taker I have ever seen in my life. Everything I asked and described you to get me, you brought me the wrong thing. And you call yourself a servant. He says when he finished that line, that little 19-year-old girl collapsed. 
fell into his lap, his lap, threw her arms around his neck and began to wail and begin to cry. And she said, I'm, sir, I'm sorry. I got your order wrong. She says, I have a two-year-old baby who has terminal cancer. And they told me that he will die within the next two weeks. I'm sorry, I got your order wrong. Bill Stafford said he sat there with that girl, and he wept, and he cried. He said that through that situation, he learned to never look at a person and judge why they are in any situation. If you go and study the story of Mephibosheth, the story of Mephibosheth is a story of a cripple that was invited to the king's table. Just if you say, what does that mean? That, I'm going to tell you what it means. Every one of you are crippled. Every one of you are crippled by sin. And the king of all glory has invited you to come and sit down and eat at his table. That's one reason why you should be so happy this morning. You ladies need to be real happy this morning. And I think there's a message coming that y'all have not got yet that you're waiting for. Okay? Well, just hold on. Jesus told a man one time, you gave to me when I was hungry. And the man said, Lord, when did I give to you when you were hungry? And Jesus said, when you gave it unto the least of them, you did it unto me. I have taught my family to be generous. Sherry went out to eat. I'm going to have to tell these stories, Sherry. They, they are testimonies. Sherry went out to eat yesterday. She had her birthday money, a few hundred dollars, in her purse. And when the waiter came to take, wait, to take care of them, Sharissa looked at the girl and said, is there anything we can pray about for you? And she'd been, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. How I many people always, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, <laughs> I'm fine. And Sharissa said, well, that's great, but is there anything that you need, anything that we could pray about? And the lady said, she broke, just tears swell up in her eyes, was standing there with a little pad. And she said, I have a special needs baby that has needs. And Teresa looked at her mama. He said, I knew what you were going to do before, we, before it ever happened. Mom pulled all of her birthday money out and said, here, bless you in the name of the Lord. A few weeks ago, Chad had an opportunity to ask a young lady, what do you need? And when he gave it to her, she said, can I hug y'all? She said, can I hug y'all? You just don't see this. A year ago, we went to the beach. Me and Sherry had gotten a, a huge blessing from the Lord. And on the way to the beach, I told her, I said, I want to bless somebody because of the great blessing that God's given me. I just want to show some love to somebody. Sherry said, who? I said, I don't know. I said, but when I find, when I find out who it is, I'm going to bless them. We went that night and sat down in a restaurant. And this young lady came up and started playing with our grandkids and being sweet to them and just making over them so greatly. And I looked at Sherry and said, there she is. 
And when she left the table, I followed her. She probably scared her to death. Here's this, this old man. And I walked up behind her and said, ma'am, what is your name? And she went, why do you want to know? I said, because I've got this $1,000 check here, a tip for you. If you tell me what your name is, I'll write your name on it. She went, oh, my God. I don't know who that girl is. I don't know her name today. And I didn't have them come take a picture of me so I could be put in the Crystal Beach News. Never seen her again. Never heard from her again. The people told me, began to walk up to me and say, you have no idea how on time this is for her. Now, now the plot thickens. How much time? When do I have to quit, Chad? Oh, yeah, we got lots of time. Now to the message. The word I just gave y'all is don't judge people, listen to the Holy Spirit. You say, well, have you ever been swindled before? Many times. Many times. But let me tell you this. I would rather be judged to be stupid than to be not caring. I would rather give to somebody something I'm not sure they're going to. Hey, we're not sure of anything when we lay it out there. I'm, I'm dealing with something right now. I can't tell you what it is, how big it is, but my God, it's big. And I've got to make a decision, and I'm not going to tell Sherry because she'll go, do it. <laughs> you know, just do it. She still comes home. We've been married 48 years. 48 years she still comes home, and she walked in the door yesterday. She went, uh... I gave all my cash to a young lady. My answer to her is basically, why didn't you just give her everything? I'm telling you, if she would have gave everything we had in our checking account, all $30, it would have been fine with me. Not really, that's a lie. It's 40. I keep, I keep, I keep 10 back there in reserve. Amen. We love to give. We've given away three cars. I gave a Harley-Davidson motorcycle away. Lord, send it back. All right. (laughs) Make it blue this time. Here we have what I call a switch swatch. Here we have what I call anytime I'm around and and some team's losing and some team's winning and I see the scores change, I go, the worm has turned the worm has turned the worm turns here in this story the rich man's dressed up eating good the beggars laying at his gate full of sores the the rich man the rich man didn't judge the man for no reason he judged him because he had an evil heart He knew that he had a lot of possessions. He knew that he had money in the bank. And he didn't want to give any of it away because it could have put him in a tight situation. Then all of a sudden, listen to what happens here. All in the story, it says it came to pass. Listen to me, folks. I don't care who you are. Life goes on. And you're either going to live in a blessed situation or you're going to live in a cursed situation 
situation. You want blessings in your life. You want blessings when you get old. You want to be able when you get old to lay back and to enjoy the fruits of your labor. You want to be able to say, Lord, I have given unto you. I've given when you told me to give. I've sacrificed when you told me to sacrifice. I've given up what you asked me to give up. Now I cry out to you, O God of heaven and earth. Render unto me, Lord, my needs. And God says, you got change in your pocket, son. Here. But the story changes here. It says the rich man died. Go, you can go read it or just listen to me. The rich man died. No scripture. The rich man died. Listen to this. The rich man, listen again. The rich man died. It came to pass. And as it is appointed unto man, once to die, and after this, the judgment. The rich man died. And it says, when he opened his eyes, he, be, he beheld the flames of hell. And it says also, the beggar died. And the rich man began to cry out. This is a whole other message here. The rich man began to cry out, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come and touch my tongue, for I am tormented in this place. Scripture says that hell is a place where the fire is never quenched and the worm, the maggot, never dies. Me and Nathan were watching the news last night and it showed the lava formations blowing out of the volcanoes in Hawaii. And I looked at Nathan and I said, Nathan, a lot of theologians believe that hell is in the center of the earth. There's a lot in there that points out that could be very possible. And I'm going to tell you something. Where all that lava's coming from, it's hot. And you can't leave once you get there. Then Abraham, in Abraham's bosom, cries back and says, Hey, dude, you remember when you were living the big dog life and Lazarus was over here at your gate begging you for crumbs? And you gave him none. The worm has turned. Now you, rich man, are tormented. And now Lazarus is comforted in my bosom. Can I get a witness? Woo, that's the way it is, folks. Take the top off, drink. One of my old favorite preachers, Chad, mentions him every once in a while. J. Harold Smith was one of the old prophetic preachers back during the early 1900s. He was a prophetic preacher. 
He tells many stories, but one of them says one night he was preaching in a meeting, and while he was preaching, God pointed out a young lady on the front row. God told him, said, go to her and plead with her to come to me and give me her heart. So he left the pulpit, walked down and said, young lady, God told me to come down and extend the invitation to you for salvation. Come to Jesus. Jesus loves you. And the little girl says, no. The mother and daddy pleaded with the little girl. She was 12 years old. Please go to Jesus. No. J. Harrell said he walked back into the pulpit knowing the outcome. He said later that night he got a call that after church this family was driving home. They were going down a country road. They got ran off the road. The car turned over. The mother and the daddy blew through the front windshield and the little girl got trapped in the back right near the rearview mirror window. The car was laying on its side. The mother and daddy were screaming, trying to find some way to break the glass. And the little girl was screaming to the top of her lungs, Mama, Daddy, help me! The mother started screaming to the young girl, Ask Jesus to come into your heart. And the little girl would scream, I can't. I can't. A passerby stopped by not knowing that the gasoline was running out of the vehicle down the road. Smoked a cigarette, took his last puff, and threw the cigarette down into the gasoline. When he did, the gasoline went back to the car, and the whole car erupted in flames. While the mother screamed at her daughter, asked Jesus, to come into your heart. She couldn't. She screamed. She sent away her day of opportunity, her day of grace. He tells another story of one night he was in a big church with a big second with a balcony, and he was preaching. And the whole time he was preaching, there were three businessmen all in their suits and ties. And the whole time he preached, they were laughing back and forth and making gestures and mocking him. He said he turned and looked at him and said, you three men, look at me. Jesus says, come to him. And they all shook their head and said, no. He said, these other people are here trying to hear the gospel. Will you please settle down, be quiet so I can preach to them? They wouldn't listen. And finally, J. Harold looked at him and said, you three men, all will die before the sun goes down tomorrow evening. You all three will be in hell. The next morning, one of the men got up and walking down to his office, walking across the street, fell dead. At lunch, a guy called his wife and said, I think I'm fixing to die, and fell dead. Later that evening, a man went home and sat at the table with his wife. He said, last night an old man told me I'd be in hell before the sun went down. He said, the sun's going down. And he fell over on his table, stone cold, dead. One more story. These are powerful. A man came to one of J. Harold Smith's 
meetings and basically told him, I've come here tonight to hear you. I've been told that if I'd come hear you, that you could break down this hardness in my life and that I could possibly be saved. J. Harold preached to him. The man left without making a decision. The next morning, J. Harold was awoken early and asked if he would come to that man's home. J. Harold Smith drove to his house, got out. There was a crowd of people out, family around the door, and they escorted J. Harold Smith thinking there may be some way he could save this guy before he died. J. Harold walked in beside his bed, and he said, good morning, and the man looked up at him and said, J. Harold, what do I do? J. Harold said, you refused Christ last night. It was your last opportunity. And as they were standing there talking, the man was just shaking. He was just like in convulsions. And he said, J. Harold said, the death angel is coming for me. I can hear him. He just came through the front gate of the yard. J. Harold, I can hear the chains he's dragging down the sidewalk. He said, J. Harold, he's coming in the front door. And about that time, the man looked up at the big double doors to his bedroom, and the bedroom doors just opened. And the guy looked at J. Harold Smith, and he says, There he is! There he is! What do I do? And J. Harold said, Ask Jesus to come into your heart. And the man said, I can't. It's too late. And the man collapsed, dead. In his bed. Two guys showed up one evening in a car. J. Harold Smith was standing out in the front of the church welcoming people. They walked up to the front steps. Two guys about 18 years old. And J. Harold Smith shook their hands and said, Y'all come on in here tonight. I'm preaching a message and I'd like for y'all to hear it. And the two boys looked at him. One of them said, Let me tell you something, you old jackass. He said, I, Do you think I would come in there and listen to you bray like a jackass? Or would I want to go dancing? He said, we came here to pick up two girls. That's all we want and all the rest of you can go to hell. They were riding motorcycles. Jay Harrell said he turned around and walked up to the pulpit and started the service. He said they made it just about 200 yards down in front of the church when a car came around the curve and hit both of them head on and killed them. J. Harrell said this, never speak evil of a man of God. He said, I've, he said, I've been accosted 27 times, been talked about, run down, spoken evil of. He says, and 27 times within 24 hours, every one of those men died. Never speak evil of a man of God. David in his god-awful form of life, of murder, adultery, and everything that he could do wrong, God said, this man is, goes after my heart, and he is the apple of my eye. Hell's not just hope, hot, folks. Hell is the total absence of God. This man, the rich man, 
wasn't praying in a place like hell as Jonah was. This rich man was praying from hell. When he cried out to Abraham, he said, Abraham, send someone to my family. I have five brothers. Send somebody there before it's too late and tell them where I'm at. If you will send someone to tell them that, they can be saved. And Abraham looked at the rich man over in hell and said, even if one rose from the dead, they would not believe. He said they've had Moses and tons of other spiritual men call them to Christ. And they've said, no, no, no. Eternal separation. Think about the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved, the original word in there was saved a worm like me. The religious people, the day that song was written back in the day, said, that's too strong of a word, worm. According to the theologians that day, it's exactly what people were, worms. They were parasites with no moral understanding, no spiritual understanding of God. I'm the most unlegalistic person you will ever meet now. And one day in my life, all I preached was legalism. If you get saved, you need to quit smoking. You need to quit drinking. You need to quit cussing. That's most people's testimony. All I can say now is two out of three ain't bad. What do you, what is, if somebody asked you, do you know Jesus, what would be your testimony? Would it be all the things that you've quit? All the things that you don't do? Some of you, since you've been saved, you go, my God, I've got friends. What am I going to do with you? Don't worry about it. You don't have to do anything with them. They're going to do something with you. They're going to ixnay you. They won't need you anymore. When you quit telling the dirty jokes and getting drunk and raising hell and cussing and talking about the world. You know, let me say this before I quit this morning. They're wondering today, why are kids killing each other in the schools? Why is there such an anger? Because the kids have no direction. They don't know what's good. They don't know what's bad. They don't know what's proper nor improper. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. They're confused and they're angry. When I was a little boy, such things were never heard of. People say, well, take the guns away from the people. We had more guns back then than they do now. It's not a gun issue. It's a mental issue of a world full of kids that have no direction in life. And they're killing themselves by the hundreds because of no direction. Paul said to live 
is Christ. But to die is gain. I asked Sherry what the conference was, what was it about? And she said, Christine Kane kind of summed it up by this. We have to walk in truth. They say the kid that shot the other kids in Santa Fe the other day came to school every day with a trench coat on in 90-degree weather with Nazi symbols all over his jacket. But nothing was said to him because they didn't want to profile him or set him apart or embarrass him in any way. When I went to school, if you didn't have a belt on, you got a butt whipping. When I went to school, if you had a ducktail, you got a butt whipping. When I went to school, if you didn't have your shirt tucked in, you got a butt whipping. Now, you can do anything, and the teachers are scared to death to even deal with you. And you wonder why we live in a confused generation. Tell you a real quick Vietnam story, and I'm through. Most of you have heard it, but I'm going to share this for the ones that haven't. It's around March 8th or 9th. We were right behind two, vis- two divisions of NBA soldiers that had just come in and totally annihilated Liberty Bridge compound. It was hot. It was about 115 degrees, and we were easing through rice paddies and in little little wooded areas. And this kid who reminded me a lot of uh, Dusty, yeah, what's that guy, McKenzie, yeah, McKenzie, <laughs> yeah, that guy, you know him, reminded me of him. And I remember standing about from here to Sherry from him, and I remember he had on a flat jacket, no shirt, nasty pants. He was kind of slumped over. The morale was really bad. People were getting uh, two to three people hurt every two or three hours, two or three shot, people killed all the day long. And it was kind of a bad moment. And I remember being right behind that kid, probably 30 foot from me. We were kind of spread out. And he walked, he walked right off in this little patch of woods, and I watched him. He had his rifle over his shoulder like this. He had that big old steel helmet on. And he walked up to the, there was a sea ration can, and He'd kick it. And I said, now here's where uh, honor comes from. I looked at him and said, hey. And he looked over at me like, who do you think you are? I said, quit kicking those cans. You're going to get all of us killed. You're going to have a grenade roll out of one of them. And what are you going to do then? And he cursed me. He mocked me, shut up, cursing me. Five seconds later, I started to kind of move away from him. Five seconds later, I watched him kick a can, and I watched that grenade roll out right between his legs. And that grenade, if y'all, I mean, if, how many of you have ever been around grenades? It's just a weird kind of a concussion sound. It, goes, it doesn't go boom, it goes like that. And when the dust started clearing, I started towards him, really not wanting to. How many of y'all ever pull up for a wreck before you know you needed to get out and go check on who was in the car? 
but you really didn't want to see what was there. Now, I've done that many times since me and Sherry's been married. When the dust began to clear, I started walking to him. And the closer I got to him, he began to flop like a fish. And then he began to scream, just scream the insides of him. He'd go, Mama! Oh, God! Mama! And I got up about 10 foot from him, and my squad leader ran up. The doc ran up, and the guy told me, my squad leader says, jump it, lay on top of him, and hold him down. He's going to bleed to death if you don't get him still. That kid was screaming. I, the last thing I wanted to do in life was to lay on top of that kid and hold him down. But I jumped on top of him, held him down. He was blown all to pieces. The corpsman ran up and took out a syringe of morphine and slapped him. And within five seconds, he just calmed down. He began to look at me and say, how bad is it? And I'd say, you're going to be okay. Can I have a cigarette? Yeah. I laid him a cigarette up. He laid there and smoked it. We called in a medevac chopper. Sent him out. Never saw him again. Don't know if he lived or died. Where the fire is never quenched. And the worm never dies. Every one of you are going to live somewhere forever. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever been born again? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. One of these days, that first line that I read when I started says, and it came to pass, one of these days, six people are going to carry you away. They're going to lower you down into a hole and put dirt over you. But the minute you die, to be absent from this body means that you're in the presence of God. Or the absence of this body means that you are in hell where there will never be peace and you will eternally be separated from God forever. That's why when I come in here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, I worship the Lord. I know that I was a worm. I know that I was undone. I knew there was no help for me. But Jesus bowed in the garden and said, Lord, if there be any other way, let it happen. And then he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And the scripture says he became obedient, even to the obedience of the cross, the cross of death. You would not know how many people I've counseled with over the last 40 years that have been in church their whole life, Never been saved. Didn't want to admit it. Didn't want to look weird. Didn't want to be funny. And people go, oh, surely you. In that day, they shall say. They shall say to him, Lord, Lord. 
Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? Is it hard for you? Is it impossible for you to follow God? Or is your nature after baptism and salvation led you to a walk with God that changed your life forever? Bow your heads with me real quick. I've been saved 39 years this year. I've never one time in my life ever doubted my salvation. I had an Apostle Paul type salvation experience where it turned me upside down. People were astounded by the change in my life. Do people see that in you? Or do people look at you and go, why do you go to church? I act just like you do. We're just alike. Where's the God of heaven in your life? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. How many of you here today without looking, every head bowed, every eye closed, know without a shadow of a doubt that if you died right now, nobody looking, if you died right now, you'd go to be with Jesus forever. Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. Here's the ones I'm interested in. When you close your eyes in death and you take that last breath, your heart stops beating. What's going to be the first thing on your, on your, on your, in your sight? Is it going to be fire? Or is it going to be the feet of Jesus? You can fool yourself and you can fool people around you, but you can't fool God. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us before we ever say a word. How many of you this morning say, Brother Donnie, I need to, I want to pray this morning. I want to ask a holy God. I preached this one morning in a soup kitchen in Tennessee. 39 alcoholics gave their heart to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you right now, just hands bowed, just say this prayer with me in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a mess. Without you, Lord, I know I'm hopeless. It's been my pride that has kept me from coming to you. I need you more than I need life. I need you more than I need breath. And I'll tell him this from your heart right now. Lord, I open the door of my heart and I invite you to come in and save me and give me eternal life. Tell him, Lord, today I accept your your sacrifice, your blood sacrifice on the cross as a propitiation for my sins and the atonement that covers all my sin. Just close that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. All I want you to do is be honest with me this morning. 
God knows your heart. He knows everything. He knows what you just prayed. He knows everything about you. He still loves you. All these people J. Harold Smith talked about in all these different stories were people that had sinned away their day of grace thinking, oh, I'll have another opportunity. You might not. How many of you this morning, while nobody's looking, prayed that prayer with me and meant business? Raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Get them up high. I want to see them high. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, even to them that believe on his name. Every decision, you can put your hands down, every decision made in the New Testament was made publicly. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed that I know God. I'm fixing to give all of you an opportunity. When I say stand, I want every one of you that said that prayer means business. It meant business. When I say stand up, I want you to immediately. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to listen around. I don't want you to listen to the voices that are speaking to your brain right now saying you can't do this. I'm telling you, you cannot afford not to. Your eternity stands in the decision and the move that you make right now. Do you want to be in hell forever? Or do you want to be in the presence of God? enjoying life in the way that God created us to.